Welcome to Stories from the Skin Track on The Caroline Gleick Show, a special four-part series to help you learn about avalanche and mountain safety through the personal experiences and stories of four special guests. We will be talking about close calls and fatalities, tips and tricks on getting into backcountry skiing and splitboarding, climate change, inclusion, mentorship, and much more. Brooklyn, I'm so excited to chat with you today. I know. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? I have been so busy over like the, I've been busy since pretty much June. Um, It's just been like nonstop. And like, finally, like I looked at my calendar last night and I was like, oh my gosh, things are starting to slow down. This is so awesome. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's A, really cool that you've been super busy and it looks like you've been doing a lot of really fun stuff. I've seen some little glimpses into your life on Instagram through your stories and it looks like some really beautiful mountain biking adventures around your home. Have you been traveling too? Um, I traveled like a little bit. Um, I made a trip down to California to hang out in Tahoe for um, a week and a half during the summer. And then I've just been making trips that are just kind of close to home, like Orcas Island. Um, And then we went down to Hood River at the beginning of summer, but really just doing a lot of riding around home. That's awesome. And your videos and stuff from the Pacific Northwest is just epic. It looks so beautiful. It's like the opposite of how it's been here in Utah this summer and fall, which has just been dry and hot. And I always look at your stuff and I'm like, oh, that looks so nice. It looks like such a different climate. (laughs) It's awesome. We were really lucky to have such a wet um, summer this year, which is really good for mountain biking. Not really good for other things or people who just like sunshine, but I love it. Totally. I know I could really use some of that more misty, humid, you know, especially for my dry skin and scratchy throat all the time (laughs) in the desert here. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'm super excited to chat with you about sports. I mean, especially snow sports. I think we want to focus on that more today, even though you're an incredible mountain biker and you've been sending these huge gaps. um, There's a lot of skiers actually that have that, that are like big time mountain bikers in the summer. It seems like they go hand in hand, but I wanted to talk about yeah, about backcountry skiing, avalanche safety, and then mentorship and inclusion in snow sports. So just to kick it off, I wanted to ask you to tell me a little bit more about yourself and what you do now and how you got into it. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I am Brooklyn Bell. I am an artist and athlete from the Pacific Northwest. Um, I graduated from Western Washington University um, like last spring with a degree in design. Um, I always thought I would be a graphic designer, but I'm finding myself becoming a pro athlete. Um, And so being a professional mountain biker is kind of like my full-time gig right now. Um, But of course, I really do love snow sports. I've been skiing for, this will be my sixth season coming up. Um, And I've spent a couple seasons um, in the backcountry learning about snow and snow safety. And what else can I talk about myself? Yeah, it's just been kind of a wild ride being involved in these sports for six years and then just being like, oh, this is what I'm going to do for my like for money for a career, you know? It's so cool to see how you've been able to really beautifully merge your mountain biking and your art and your backcountry skiing and just like to package it into a career and to do what you love. You know, I think that's one of the greatest gifts in the world is to wake up every morning with passion and purpose. And so I'm so stoked to see like 
how it's all come together and yeah to learn and I love the way you integrate art into it as well because like it's it's, your art is so cool and I really loved your film Becoming Ruby thank you so much that was amazing to to check out and yeah you're working on some other film projects too um so I just wrapped up um doing an episode of Originate with Michelle Parker cool it's for her third season and uh, for that, we went out to Orcas Island with Hannah Bergman, who just signed with Red Bull, and it was kind of like a town holiday because she's super deserving. Um, but yeah, it was so fun to be a part of an episode of Originate. Um, I've looked up to Michelle for quite a while now, and just to like work with her and ride with her and um, have the experience of just like breaking down fear um, together working on these kind of like big features out at Orcas was really fun. That's so cool. So how do you think your mountain biking, what you're doing in the summer translates into skiing in the winter? Um, I would say like for me, uh, skiing is kind of when I get a little bit of a break. Um, I find that when I am skiing, especially resort skiing, I just have a lot more freedom to make a lot more mistakes, be really curious. Um, you know, I think that mountain biking has like a lot more risk um, as far as like hurting yourself. Um, You're not going to get caught in an avalanche uh, biking, um, but it is really nice to come into skiing and be like, oh, everything is on pretty much. You know, I have room to um, try a lot of different things. That's really cool. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way about myself with trail running in the summer and the fall because like I – yeah, it's just it's fun to learn a new skill and it's fun to push yourself and it's fun to like have the goals that are outside of like how you make a living. And um, yeah, like it's nice to have a space in sport where you can fail too, you know, where you can try something ambitious and like definitely n- not succeed as long as the failure isn't like a devastating. Yeah. At like, you know, there's, yeah, snow sports, obviously it's dangerous. So with mountain biking and skiing, I was curious if you've had any injuries. Um, I haven't had any injuries yet for mountain biking or skiing. Um, I've been really lucky, knock on wood. I'm knocking <laughs> on my skull right now. I'm knocking on I my did, desk. Yeah, yeah. I did. Uh, I broke my ankle actually. Um, I think it was three years ago, three or four years ago, I was climbing. So I was lead climbing and I took a really big whipper. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just had like a hairline fracture on my ankle. So I was out for maybe four weeks. Um, and then after that four weeks, I realized that, um, I realized that I really loved climbing. Um, but you know, getting on my bike, I could, it was kind of funny. It was like, I could bike better than I could walk once I was recovering. So I just ended up really falling in love with my bike. That's cool. Yeah. Like I, dabbled in climbing for a couple years and I was really into it at certain points like I've gone through phases but what I love about biking and trail running is you can go by yourself yeah definitely and I I get kind of bored I'm kind of 80 well I actually do have a 
adult ADHD diagnosis. I was diagnosed when I was 22. And that was like a huge turning point for some of my mental health challenges. But with climbing, sometimes I just get a little ADD because I'm like, I just don't want to, like, it's hard for me to sit still and focus on belaying for so long. And when I'm running or skiing, I get more into like the flow. That's really helpful for my ADHD. And I read recently that you have an ADHD diagnosis as well. So um, I am undiagnosed, um, but I lived with a parent who um, had adult ADHD. So um, early on, my parents were able to kind of identify the signs and kind of help me, even though it was really hard, you know, help me be super organized and kind of on top of things. And um, yeah, it, it sometimes is definitely difficult, but most of the time it's just kind of like this really cool um, blessing. Yeah. And I mean, biking and, and skiing and these things, exercise can help so much for, um, managing it. Yeah. Do you have any other tips for staying organized? That's something I could really help use help with. (laughs) Um, I don't own a lot of things. Like I'm in my room right now and like, that's like pretty much all that I own. Um, I, like have a very like small amount of things. I have a small amount of gear, even though my gear is starting to like become more and more, but just, just being um, aware of like how much things I own and how many things I really want to take care of and being really practical with myself. And they're all just like, there's just moments where I kind of have to like separate myself into like different identities. Like I feel like sometimes I have to just be my own mom like mom who like meal preps for me or like mom who like cleans my dishes and is just like on it, you know? And that way, like the other part of me, like the little kid Brookie can just like go and play as hard as I want. That is so cool. I love that. That's something I had to learn like way in my late mid to late twenties is that idea of like mothering myself. And I think that's also what makes you such a great backcountry partner. Cause last winter I had the opportunity to spend a few days of touring with you and um, like that ethic of care and that self-awareness of, you know, recognizing like we need to eat, like all these little things, like those are nailing the basics. Like that is so crucial um, in, in, in the backcountry. And so on that note, I was curious. So how did you get into backcountry skiing? Um, that's a really good question. So how I got into backcountry skiing was through doing a lot of side country at the Mount Baker Skiria. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know about the Mount Baker Skiria, it is an awesome resort. I'll be spending a lot of time there this next season. It's kind of a snowboard mountain. Um, but it's really famous for its side country. Um, It's got really epic um, side country lines that are um, just, you know, right outside the resort. Um, And it can kind of be a little bit of a frenzy um, with the side country or I guess uh, lift access back country. That's a more popular. Um, And, you know, I I started to kind of feel really uncomfortable with um, just maybe the way that I saw other people go out or just like the frenzy of just like the powder hounds going out. Um, and so I kind of knew what my goals were with like backcountry, And, um, I decided to sign up for a class at my college. Um, and I felt like 
going into um, my area one, I kind of had an idea of what kind of skier I wanted to be and what stuff I had already been doing and like what things I was already seeing where I was like, I don't really feel comfortable with this. Like, how do I, how do I engage with this? Um, How do I keep myself safe? How do I help keep other people safe too? Yeah. Well, that's so cool. And so what kind of skier you like, one of the things I really admire about you is just like how, you have such a clear vision of like what you want to do with skis and with your, with your body and with athletics in general. Like I see it with mountain biking too, like your way of visualizing things. And so what are some of your goals? Like what kind of skier are you? Uh, You know, I've been trying to figure out what kind of mountain biker and like what kind of skier I am. Um, I would love to get into big mountain skiing um, I really like going fast. I really enjoy hitting cliffs and jumps and I'm very jibby and really playful. Um, I always joke around with my friends. Like, I mean, I know how to ski, but I'm always like, man, I just want to learn how to ski. Cause I'll see like, um, folks at Baker that I look up to who just are incredible from like the lifts or, you know, you watch their edits and you're just like, that is crazy. I, I didn't know that you could ski like that. So I feel like I'm constantly being like, I want to learn how to be a skier. Um, but I would definitely classify myself as somebody who's really playful and jibby and um, tries to find a lot of flow. Yeah. And there's some incredible pillow lines, right? Is that what I'm thinking? Is that the right like visual for the Baker oh, yeah, side definitely. country? Yeah. And then yeah. you have like Shuxan, which yeah. is, uh, is it connected to the resort or it's really close by? Um, it is connected to the resort it's definitely a schlep to get up there yeah um there are definitely some really cool lines um that are kind of right below the summit of the peak which i haven't actually done but um i've skied shucks and arm many times and it's really cool that looks so cool like i've seen photos of that and that's definitely like become on my tick list i think probably just from seeing pictures of it and on instagram and powder magazine and stuff but yeah. but but how is it dealing with the weather there because that's one of the things that might be hard. Like I really need my vitamin D in the winter. Um, it is always rainy in town. Like right now we're like in this transitional period where it's like, it's so rainy. I'm just like, okay, this is a good time to just like not do a lot. Yeah. Um, which I mean, I still go out riding, but just not nearly as much. Um, and then we have some of the most beautiful views out at Mount Baker, but people usually don't ever see them. Right. Cause it's always sucked in. Yeah. Yeah. So how does that factor, or I guess taking your airy one and getting into backcountry skiing, like what are some of the key takeaways that you've learned about avalanche safety? Ooh. Um, what are some of the best things that I've learned? I think like, I need a second for this one. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I thought that was really cool that I think something I would like to do more and I would encourage other people to do more at whatever phase they are on their avalanche journey is you keep a notebook where you just write little notes about each day you have out on the slopes. And I feel like that process, that intention of sitting down and writing, it's sort of, it's like a debrief. Um, Like how does that play into what you've learned about not just avalanche safety, but mountain safety and your own like Mm self-awareness? So I keep a ski journal. Um, I try to write in it every single day that I go skiing, regardless of whether I'm skiing out in the backcountry or not. Um, if I'm skiing lift access backcountry too, I'll keep it updated. Um, for me, like 
it has been a really cool way to push myself to have a deeper relationship with the snow, to keep track of what's happening with the snow, um, to keep track of what's happening in relationships that I have with people who I'm going out with and being able to, you know, figure out whether or not, you know, the folks that I'm going out with are the right partners for me or, you know, if I was communicating well enough or if we were problem solving well enough or if we were listening to the signs. Um, I think that one of the cool things about keeping track of what's happening in the snow with the snow journal is being able to go back later in the season and be like, oh, that was the day that um, we had that surface horror develop and it created that persistent wheat layer. And we were out that day and we saw the sparkly snow. Um, and now like deep into the season, we're seeing how it's affecting us. So like having that awareness of what's happening and not just being like, not just checking the report and being able to piece together everything as um, I'm kind of moving along in time, but also spending more time um, out in the backcountry. Um, the other thing too is like, so during shoulder season, like usually about now is the time that I'll get all my ski stuff together for the next ski season. Um, and I'll spend a little bit of time refreshing my um, avalanche um, knowledge and skills. And one of the things that I like to do is I like to go back through my notebook um, and just assess some of the decisions that I made, you know, be like, oh, this was a really great decision. This was a good day. It had like I trusted my gut, it had all the green lights, or maybe there was one day where I just didn't speak up enough or I didn't communicate well enough, or maybe had a close call or, um, well, actually, I don't think I've had too many close calls, but, um, you know, maybe that there was one day that I didn't quite make the right decision. I think giving yourself a little bit of time and breath after something happens is a really nice way of being able to um, assess something and not be too hard on yourself too. Yeah, I mean, it's so cool how you especially keep track. Well, I love like everything about that. And that's something I would like to try to emulate from what I learned from you when we skied together last winter is because it's one thing, again, to like read the Abbey forecast and see like, oh, this January surface, January 13th surface whore layer, you know, but it's another thing when it's in your lived experience and that, oh, yeah, can, you know, it's like you were out there, like you saw it, you were in the cold, clear night or whatever it was, like, however you experienced that weather event. And then it becomes part of the snowpack, like having that really deep, intimate knowledge of the snowpack, it really sets you up for great success in avalanche train and avalanche forecasting and backcountry skiing. Um, and then I also just love the part you said about like debriefing your thoughts about the ways you are communicating with your partners. And so what are some like green lights or what are some gr like green flags when you're trying to decide about partners or like, do you have tips for good communication? Um, Ooh, that's another hard one. I think just like having everybody be on the same page for expectations. I really like to like, I like to spend my time with people who have uh, low expectations. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it's just a mellow pow day, you know, yeah. um, and it's a low angle day and everybody's having the best day ever. Like we don't need to um, get after it any more than that. Um, or maybe we can 
you know, go out and do something a little bit steeper and being able to trust your partners and be like, yeah, I think we have all of the green lights to go do this thing. Um, and being able to communicate that, being able to communicate expectations of like, oh, well, we'd be really, it would be really fun doing this. Um, but we might have to do this and everybody having a good time regardless. Um, I think the other thing too, I think that people who are able to show up to the table, um, you know, like not everybody's going to meet you halfway. Um, but people who are able to show up to the table, um, who know the area or know a little bit about the area who have a map or who have Gaia download on their phone, who have knowledge of the route, um, or have beta from somebody else, you know, who have read the weather report, read the avalanche forecast, have communicated what their thoughts and ideas are about the route for the day, um, and maybe spoken up about alternatives, people who bring their own food and like, you know, folks who really take care of themselves and um, take care of others. I find that, you know, when people show up to the table with, um, not everybody's perfect. Not everybody's going to show up to the table evenly. But when you see when you see people who show up actively, no matter where they are in their, you know, avalanche skill or knowledge or their skill on skis, it really says a lot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, and like when you have that good teamwork and that good communication, it can make a good day absolutely great. But when you have friction with teammates or you have someone who doesn't communicate well or who just like puts their head down and just like goes as fast as they can straight up the mountain and doesn't wait. And then they get to the top and they're like sweaty and then they have to wait for you. And then by the time they get there, by the time you get there, they're frozen. Like, what are some red flags for like, this is not a good partner dynamic? And how do you spot those? I think for me, I guess it's just like on both ends of both ends of the spectrum, like, um, like folks who just like don't want to communicate or they feel like they're like completely the expert and they like know all be all. And then there are other folks who like expect you to be like tour guide. Um, and, you know, when things go wrong, they're really not prepared to like be problem solvers. I think like a red flag for me is always just like, well, how do we react when things go wrong? Are we teammates or are we equals or is there an unequal power dynamic happening here? Right. Yeah. I think that is so important. And so when you feel that, or like, if you have that experience, do you go out with the person again or do you just like move on to another partner? Um, I mean, it just depends. I think that, you know, relationships, um, especially like ski ones are really intimate and really special and it's tough because it's like all of my friends ski, but not all of my friends are like the perfect ski partner for me. Right. And so there are some people that I'm like, yeah, let's get this little pow day in the resort. And there's other people who I definitely, you know, go out with, um, touring or do side country with. Um, there are definitely some people that I, um, will actively be like, no, I'm going to pass. And then there are some people where I'm like, okay, this is so worth us taking the time to like grow and get past this conflict and, uh, learn and, be better teammates to each other. Totally. Yeah. It's great when you get into the flow of like 
the great partnership and you have like, you know, sometimes with partners, you have like strings of weeks where you just do so much cool stuff. But for me, like I know who I surround myself can either set me up for like, there are certain people that when I'm skiing with them, like I really want to push myself and I feel supported to like push myself and achieve my goals. And then there are people where I don't feel that same energy. And so, yeah, I think just like, yeah, making sure to surround yourself with, and if the relationship isn't exactly what you want to to kind of talk about that and see where you can improve. Um, what I think, and then go ahead. Oh, I think I'm. I think I'm still trying to figure out who my ideal ski partners are. I think for me, I could be like more open and more honest about who I want to be as a skier. Like maybe who I want to be as a skier you know, we won't have to get after that in the moment, but down the road, it's like, okay, these are some of my goals. They don't always have to line up on this day, but, um, it's just, I think I could think, I think I could do a better job at just being like, this is what I want. And this is where I want to go. Yeah. And I think it kind of ebbs and flows. Cause there's definitely days for me where I'm like, this is my mission. Like, this is what we're going to yeah. do today. And like, yeah. obviously if the conditions, if there's red flags, like I'm willing to turn around, I'm willing to find an option B, C, D all the way down the alphabet. But, um, but then there's days that are just like, you know, higher avi danger days, perhaps where it's more like, Hey, let's just get out, have some fun and see what's happening with the snowpack. And then there are days where I try to go on other people's missions and let other people kind of be more of the trip leader. And so I think that it ebbs and flows, but it is really special. I personally love having those days where I'm like, this is the mission and like making the team and like, this is how it's going to be. Here's our start time. <laughs> because like, it took me a long time to step in. Like it, for me, it took me a long time to step into that role as like trip leader. So it feels yeah. good. Like I don't like to do it all the time, but I do enjoy it now that I, I feel like I know what I'm doing more. Yeah. But you know, another thing that I loved what you said is like speaking up when you feel uncomfortable. And so for people who are just getting into the sport, what advice would you have about speaking up and asking questions? And yeah, like how do you navigate that? Um, so the first day that I had my Airy one, um, it was at the college and there was just like, to be frank, it was a lot of just like teenage, well, not teenage, college-aged boys, like very broy. And day one of the course, I was like, if I can do anything, it's just to speak up in this space. And so that was just my goal for um, my like first class. And I did it. I speaked up. I took initiative. Um, and I think that's like always my goal um, when I'm out with groups, I got with a lot of people who are like way more skilled, way more knowledgeable than I am. Cause I'm much newer, but, um, lately I've been getting a lot of opportunities to, um, just be in those spaces with those incredible people. But I think that, you know, I, I do a service to the folks who I'm out with by speaking up and being vocal. And I'm not going to learn unless I ask questions, even silly questions. It's like, how are we supposed to, how am I supposed to have the knowledge? Um, or maybe I learned something wrong and I needed to unlearn or relearn or um, it's really, it's really good to continue asking questions. Um, especially, especially if your gut is telling you to do so. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, that's just such a crucial piece of advice that I just want to encourage everywhere, everyone, no matter what phase of their avalanche safety or backcountry ski journey that they're on to always speak up because so many studies have shown that like that voice of like, hey, why are we doing this? Or like, why are you know that that can save lives and prevent accidents. And so, yeah, definitely like keep speaking up because we always every team needs a person that speaks up when they feel when they feel something and when they have a question. So how did you? Oh, go ahead. And I mean, I think sometimes it's worth, you know, going to your ski partners, the people that you spend time with and being like, hey, am I communicating effectively enough? And am I speaking up? Um, Am I bringing up things that are relevant? Um, I think that's crucial. Were there any other women in your AVI course? There were like a couple of other women in my AVI course, but it was very throwy. Yeah. Um, I took like a avalanche forecasting course a few years ago and I was one woman with 19 men and I was like really outspoken and it was really tough. It was, it's, yeah, it was, it was a tough week of that course. Um, I was so frustrated. I'm so frustrated by like the lack of women in the avalanche and backcountry world and especially in ski mountaineering. And so I have this question from someone on Instagram today and that is, how can white cis or hetero people make outdoor spaces activities more inclusive? And so I wanted, if you're comfortable throwing this out to you and especially focusing on like for black people and for other people of color, mm-hmm. how can we make outdoor spaces more inclusive? Um, Like skiing or just? Yeah, let's like say skiing. Outdoor. Yeah, let's say skiing. backcountry skiing particular in particular, focusing on that because just in snow sports, I think it's like such a small, per- I think it's like, I can't remember exactly the statistic, but I think it's like nine over 95% of the skiers are white. So it's how can we make it more skiing, backcountry skiing more inclusive? Um oh gosh. I think that there are like cultural things that happen, not with all skiers, but I think there is a certain amount of like earning your way into the group or kind of like this bootstrap mentality. And what I'm realizing is that if I want to bring more people in the space, just because I worked really hard to be here doesn't mean they should have to work as hard. Um, I think that offering more ways for people to become educated is really crucial. Um, I think one of the things that I noticed was when I was down there with you in the Wasatch, there's that app that just has so much information available to people about the area. It's like, oh my gosh, people know, these people know that people are going out and recreating in these backcountry zones that are potentially really dangerous. Let's give them the tools to be safer outside. I think that's huge. I think um, that's a really good approach um, instead of being a gatekeeper in the community. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, and that app we have here, the Wasatch Backcountry Skiing app, it makes it so easy. And I have to admit, sometimes I find myself now becoming a little curmudgeonly about it. I'm like, back in my day, like, no one ever skied this Kular because it was so hard to find. And (laughs) I I need to work on that because that is exactly the mentality that is, like, devastating for the sport. That's like, and I think it is this bitterness because I felt like I had to do everything the hard way when I was starting. And like, 
I didn't have a mentor. Like I have a chip on my shoulder, but I need to make sure I do not keep perpetuating that pattern because like you said, that is, it's, it's, yeah, it's not making it more inclusive. So thank you for that reminder. (laughs) I do not want to be the curmudgeon. (laughs) I mean, that happens with biking too. Like where spots just blow up and, and everybody's like, mur, 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 it's so busy. And I'm like, uh, it's, and we're geotagging too. It's like mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's, it's hard. It's hard. There's definitely a, a balance there between like wanting a space to just be yours and it's your home and wanting to make sure that everybody has access. Right. Totally. Yeah. What role do you think mentorship can play in bringing people into backcountry skiing? Um, I mean, I think that mentors, like all these sports, like skiing, climbing, mountain biking, they are all mentorships sports. I don't think I would be six years into skiing, skiing the things that I do without any of the folks who were just like, Hey, let's learn how to do this thing. I'll show you this spot or like, you know, being a mentor to me. And I'm really thankful for that. And, um, I think that it's really important for um, other people to have mentors. I think that's one of the best ways that people um, are able to have access to the sport is you have mentors, you have community who um, accept who you are and um, encourage you to, you know, I guess be a part of sport, even though it might not be um, culturally, you know, what maybe your family does. Um, but having that community is really important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can play a huge role and especially like right now there's the Abbey courses are like all filled up here in the Wasatch for the winter. And I'm like, yeah, we really need a lot of these experienced people to like step up and take some newbies under their wing and, and share some of the knowledge because you can learn a lot in a class, but it is also really nice to be out in the field and to see how someone does like the little things, you know, on the skin track and little hand pits and all of that stuff. So, I mean, I learned like last season, I learned so much from just like going out with you and Mary, like there is nothing like that. Absolutely nothing. And yeah, it's just, it's really, it's so valuable to get um, an expert's perspective. Yeah. And you got to go and ski with Leah Evans too, right? Yeah. In Going out with Leah was really cool. Girls do ski is awesome. That's so cool. That sounds yeah. so fun. I would love to do. Yeah, I feel, feel like between spending time in, um, Wasatch and then spending time in Revelstoke, I felt like I got like such a really cool, um, just learning experience. What was it like? So with Girls Do Ski and then when you came to the Wasatch with me and Mary, were you always in groups of all women? Yes, I was in groups of all women. And does that like how does that how does that feel or like is it different from being in mixed gender groups or? I I mean, like I have crews of guys that I go out with and we communicate really well. I definitely had to learn that, you know, if I want to be a part of the crew, at least with the guy, I have to be just super vocal and, you know, kind of stand my ground. Um, I definitely have guy friends that I really trust on skis and I trust their judgment. And we've just gone to a place, um, like as just friends, like outside of skiing where they just know me, which is really special. Um, that being said, I think that in a group of women, you find that sweet spot a lot quicker. 
um, and women just communicate um, just so well with each other. And, you know, when you see another woman do something, it's just, it's so empowering. You can see yourself in their shoes a lot better. Yeah. I think a lot of us share, like, there's so much shared experience. I think, like, in skiing, too, um, like, you saying that you were, like, one woman of many guys in an avalanche course, and then me saying that, too. It's, like, there's a lot of, like, shared experiences that we all have, or maybe shared thoughts that we actually don't really know that we share. So it's really good to know that you're not alone. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's so funny because when I first started skiing, it was like when I first started to try trying to build my career as a professional skier, it was sort of the beginning of like women-specific gear and women-specific camps. And at the beginning of that, I was sort of like kind of opposed because I grew up with three brothers. And I think this was my own internalization of misogyny. But I was like, I don't need women specific. Like, I don't want to be in a group with all girls. But And so that was like, I just thought it was weird because you never have like the spaces that are like men's only and skiing. But now well, that... All- <laughs> I know it is. That's the default. It is like all yeah. men's. And so, but yeah. now like I freaking love being in women's, like in the women with the gals and like doing um like a climbing a big mountain or doing something with a team of women. It's just so great. Like I love it so much. And so I've really come full There's circle. Yeah. That is like Hannah and Michelle and I out in Orcas Island, like we had a crew of um, kind of like all dudes who were filming and doing photos. Mm-hmm. And I remember Zach at the end of the trip, he was like, whoa, the energy like that came off of the three of you guys was crazy. He was like, I don't think I've ever seen that before. And I was like, this is what happens when you get women together. Yeah. And it's such a cool shift to see from like when I started my career, there was just the token woman in a ski film, you know, to like. Now there are projects like Michelle Parker's Originate and your film Becoming Ruby where the woman is centered and she's the protagonist. And like yeah. 100%, if you're listening out there, snow sports industry, just know that <laughs> that's what we want. We want to support. Like that is all I want to see right now because yes. I've spent enough time of my life watching movies and TV shows and everything where the male is a protagonist and I've seen enough of yeah. it. And so I'm ready for a cultural shift. I want to see women in the leadership positions. So yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, go. <laughs> go. Done. <laughs> let's fund that project <laughs> if you want. Yeah. Yeah. So I just was curious um, if you had any tips for picking gear for backcountry skiing, because I know a lot of people are building their first setups this winter. And so mm-hmm. what have you learned about like gear selection? And yeah, what advice would you give to others? Oh, man. My best advice for gear is if you have a community of folks who you like to go skiing with, or you have some trusted mentors, ask what they use. Um, especially when it comes to like ski, like skis and bindings, it's really nice to know what people use. Like what people use in the Mount Baker ski area is probably a little bit different than what you know people use in Colorado or like places that are really dry. So you know having having local knowledge is really helpful and really key. I would say, you know, make sure that you have everything um, as far as protection, you have your helmet, goggles, gloves, make sure you have extra hand warmers. I always keep, um, I always keep like a small first aid kit on me. 
Um, and of course you want your beacon probe and shovel, um, having a backpack that is um, like technical enough to go out on like either a multi-day trip or a one day trip where you have enough um, for all of your warm layers and food um, is key. I think it's tough. It's like, I would say that backcountry skiing is really expensive. I think yeah. in some cases it could be even more expensive than going out biking. Cause you can kind of wear whatever biking, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would say that if you can, if you can connect with people in the community who are, um, willing to help you, like leaning on other people to help you with gear is great. And there are so many people who are excited to not only give their knowledge, but um, give back to people who um, are excited to come into the sport. Totally. Yeah. No, your advice that you just um, mentioned about asking your partners, like what kind of gear they have, that's so important because like if you're going side country skiing, uh, you might need something really different than if you plan on doing like schemo races. And so, you know, and also making sure you have those conversations like with people before you go out too. So, you know, like what people are packing and their expectations for the day, because like maybe they're planning to go at a much slower pace and wear a lot more layers. And so that's yeah. helpful to know <laughs> before yeah. you start out. Yeah. And um, do you have any emergency items in your backpack, like sweets that you carry? Ooh. Um, lately I've been really loving packing gummy worms. Okay. Like we've been doing a lot of shooting for mountain biking. So I've been just packing away gummy worms and that's just like instant, like food or food, mood booster. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Booster, booster, mood boost, booster. <laughs> mood booster. <laughs> no, having that sugar is so crucial because like a lot of people are really against sugar, but when you're out there pushing hard, like your body needs sugar, your muscles need yeah. sugar. So do not be afraid of sugar. I remember when we were skiing together, you always had an emergency stash of chocolate. Oh yeah, definitely. Chocolate is so key too. And I could see a really nice chocolate gummy bear combo, a little link up there. That would be really nice. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> I would chocolate totally bear. eat a chocolate covered gummy worm. I guess, I guess if I were in the middle of nowhere and that, like I was at the top of the summit and I need sugar. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, this is the best thing ever. Chocolate covered gummy worms. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's just a weird craving I'm having right now. I don't know, but it sounds super good. I'm going to totally play with that on my next long day out. So what are your plans for this winter? Like, do you have trips planned and what are you excited about? Um, You know, I don't really have a ton of plans. Um, I've been just trying to keep kind of things loose. Um, Just because due to COVID, um, I'm not trying to travel a ton and hopefully do um, maybe do some trips close to home. Um, but I'll be joining the lithic ski team this next season Congrats. and they are a local uh, ski company that's out of Leavenworth, which I'm pretty pumped on. And I've been like, I've been really hesitant to ask for any sponsorship or taking the offers for skiing. Cause skiing has always been just for me, but, um, the folks who are bringing me into this space are people that I already ski with. So it's kind of just like a way to have a lot of community. That's awesome. Well, I would love to chat with you about maybe skiing together for a few days again. And so we should have that conversation. Maybe you can show me around your backyard this time. I could come up there and and follow you around, but it would be really fun to ski together again. I'm in the same boat. People are like, what are your winter plans? And I'm like, 
I don't know. It's a hard, it's a loaded question. <laughs> I know. It's, it's hard so, to plan. I mean, I think right now I've just been, I guess, just having low expectations. Yeah. Yeah. I've been managing expectations. Like, I'll probably get turns in. It'll probably be fun. We'll get to jump off of things, but like, and have like lots of really good backcountry days. But, you know, trying to keep expectations kind of low and um, just, be aware of things as just kind of how how they happen and how they unfold and who knows it's like yeah I think we're very far away from having a vaccine it's hard to tell how many people are going to be out in the backcountry or skiing resort and elections are in a couple weeks so life it's just like everything can change I know everything is so up in the air I mean I feel like the one Nice thing for me is that like because I've been home so much and because I'm not traveling and running around like crazy trying to make it to like the next event or whatever, I've had a lot of time to train consistently. And the other thing about like spending the whole season at home is then I get that intimate knowledge of the snowpack and like I can be out in the same place every day digging around and like tiptoeing around and I kind of love that that simplicity of um, you know doing the same I love the mountains here, and so I can't complain if I spend my whole winter in the Wasatch or in Utah because there's always more to explore. So there's always, like, the next nook and cranny. But it would be super fun to chat more about linking up because I would love to to ski yeah. with you again. So cool. What was, like, what, go ahead. Sorry. So crazy. Um, that was, like, my first time ever just, like, skiing bottomless pow. Like, we have pow here and, like, at the Mount Baker ski area, but it was just, like – I've never skied anything that was just so consistent, except for like the wind crested stuff that we skied. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that wind. Storm. Yeah, we've been having a lot more wind lately, but um, when it's good here, it's it's hard to beat. So it's crazy. It was yeah. pretty mind blowing. I'm so glad that you we had good conditions while you were here because you know it can yeah. go, <laughs> it can go either way. So it was really special. We had some really fun days in the Wasatch backcountry, and so yeah, I'd love to link up and make more turns with you. Is there anything else you wanted to add or any other? Yeah topics you want to no, talk about not really cool yeah. well it's so good to see your face i've missed you no. <laughs> no. um thank you so much for spending this time with me it was amazing yeah, to catch up you have so much good advice um how can we follow you and support your work um so you can support me by um following me on instagram my instagram handle is bad gal underscore brookie um you can support me as an artist by buying a print from brooklynbelldesigns.com. Um, and if you want to learn more about my story, um, a good way to learn more about me is by watching Becoming Ruby on YouTube. And I will link to those in the show notes. Awesome. Well, and uh, yeah, love your art. I love everything you're doing. Please keep me posted about how I can support you and ways we can work together going forward. Thanks, Carolyn. Cool. Talk to you later. Bye. Today's stories from the skin track are brought to you in partnership with Backcountry.com. Interestingly enough, the first item ever sold on Backcountry.com was an avalanche beacon out of a garage in Park City, Utah, way back in 1996. For over 20 years, Backcountry has been dedicated to gearing up folks for safe and unforgettable experiences on the skin track. So whether you're thinking about getting into the backcountry to ski this year or just need to make sure you're adequately prepared with the right gear, the Backcountry Gearheads are amazing resources 
that can help you find exactly what you need. Also, be sure to check out your local Avalanche Forecast Center for additional education and information. Gear and knowledge equals safety and fun for all. Thanks for listening today and stay tuned for the next episode with more stories from the skin track. Special thanks to Avery Sandak for his help with the audio on today's episode, to my partner, Rob Lee, for being extra quiet while recording, and to Jonah Cuddy for the beautiful intro and outro music. If you liked today's episode, please rate, review, and share it with a friend. Until next time.